Well, good morning, everyone. One of the things that I will miss when my time is over this summer is sitting next to that drum cage <laughs> and watching Joe and Josiah do their thing. I had a little chuckle moment uh, as I watched Joe, thinking back to a time and when drums were not in the church. <laughs> Those days are gone. <laughs> and it's a good thing. Yogi Berra played baseball for 19 years. 18 of those years he played for the New York Yankees. According to those who know baseball, Yogi was one of the top five top 10 catchers in the history of baseball. 18 seasons, he played on the summer classic, the All-Star Game. He was on 10 World Series championship teams. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1972. And in 1999, he was elected to the all-century team as their catcher. Yogi was a good baseball player. But Yogi was also known for something else. The way he fractured the English language <laughs> and some of his silly statements that came to be known as Yogiisms. I'd like to share some with you this morning as we begin. Now, you're going to have to think about these. They don't come across the way you might think. Here we go. You can observe a lot by watching. <laughs> the future ain't what it used to be. Never answer anonymous letters. <laughs> As a general comment on baseball, Baseball is 90% mental, the other half is physical. <laughs> he hits from both sides of the plate, he's amphibious. <laughs> I love this one. Always go to other people's funeral or otherwise they won't come to yours. <laughs> a nickel ain't worth a dime anymore. If you don't know where you're going, you might end up someplace else. And my favorite, when giving directions to a friend to his home in New Jersey, he said, when you come to the fork in the road, take it. <laughs> his friend needed a bit more information, don't you think? Jesus, in our passage this morning, is going to talk to us about choices. Turn your Bible, if you will, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. Please follow along as I read. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few that find it. 
Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree that bears fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Let's pray as we begin our study this morning. Father, thank you for a time of worship and fellowship and study. Thank you for the joy that we have in Jesus. But now, Father, as we focus on your word in which Jesus is inviting his hearers on that Galilean hillside to make wise choices, May we be, by your spirit, open to hearing your word and making wise choices as well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The next two Sundays... We will look at the conclusion of Jesus' words to his disciples on that Galilean hillside. As he wraps up his message, he pictures two gates, two ways, two trees, two foundations. Travelers must choose their way. Here's their message. Builders, their foundation. Listeners of Jesus' message need to choose. First, they need to choose the narrow over the broad. The word enter is a command. We need to enter the narrow gate. We are to travel on the narrow road. Why? He said for or because the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. Jesus pictures here a wide entrance. It's spacious. It's easy to get onto the road. Nothing really matters on the road. No baggage limits. Anything goes. You can take anything you want. On the wide road, if your thing is nature, that's okay. If it's meditation, that's okay. If it's morality or sensuality, it doesn't matter which one it is. That's all okay. The road has plenty of room. It has plenty of room so long as no one starts talking about value judgments, about absolute truth. There's no room for that. It is the wrong road. But Jesus says that those who enter it are many. 
It's, it's a heavily used gate, a heavily traveled road. You're never alone on the broad road, but it leads to destruction. That's important to know about the broad road. It's important to know about any road. <laughs> Where does it go? What is its destination? The broad road may have eight lanes, well-traveled highway, beautiful scenery, spacious accommodations, no potholes. But Jesus said it ends in destruction. If we let the crowds and the culture determine our direction, we'll be destroyed with them, Jesus says. Remember the words of Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way which seems right unto a man, but the end is the way of death. But there's an alternative, the narrow road which leads to life. Some translations render this, the gate is narrow and the way is difficult. <laughs> the way is hard, the way is constricted. But Jesus says there's only one road that leads to life, and it's not the wide, well-traveled freeway. But we choose it. That is the narrow road, not for its comfort, but for its destination. And in the context of Jesus' words here, I think the narrow road has about it the idea of the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. His message is narrow. Now, in one sense, it's good that Christians avoid the tag of narrow. I, I don't want to be seen as a self-righteous Pharisee, a list-carrying Pharisee, nor do I want to be seen as a joyless Christian, narrow, who looks like he's been weaned on a pickle. <laughs> nor do I want to be narrow in inflexibility dogmatic about things that don't matter. Like the bishop of a denomination who went to visit a denominational college in 1870. And in the course of the conversation with the president of the college, the president said, in 50 years, men will fly in the air, soar like birds. The bishop was shocked, outraged. He replied, flight is strictly reserved for angels. And I beg you not to repeat your suggestion lest you be guilty of blasphemy. 33 years later, the college president's son, sons, Orville and Wilbur Wright, <laughs> made their first flight at Kitty Hawk. I don't want to be narrow in that sense. But in a sense, truth is narrow. The message of the sermon is narrow. The Beatitudes are narrow. Peter, before the Sanhedrin, in Acts 4.12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Narrowness was just as unpopular in Jesus' day as it is today. In fact, so many people are surging down the broad highway that Jesus said only a few will find the narrow path. But you know what? You know what I've learned over the years? 
that folks who walk the narrow road are not narrow people after all. There are positive aspects to walking on the narrow road and being narrow road folks. In fact, they're anything but narrow. I think first, they're broad in their concern and their compassion for others. Narrow road people share the gospel with others, realizing that they're on the wide road heading for destruction and they want them to change roads. Narrow road people care for others in tangible ways when there is sickness or other needs. Over the past few years, Barbara and I have been the recipients of the care and compassion of this church. And we cannot express our appreciation adequately for your actions. Narrow road people are broad in their concern and their compassion. They're broad in their purposes. They have chosen to follow another king and another kingdom. They pray regularly, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Their purposes are not confined to their own concerns. They don't put their lives into the houses and lands and bank accounts. They live with a sense of the eternal. They invest in things that will outlast them. They don't have narrow goals. They're also broad in their hopes. <laughs> I uh, woke up this morning battling the battle of mind over mattress and went into the bathroom and looked into the mirror and said, what is a young guy like you doing in that old body? <laughs> when you get older, one of the frustrations you face is there are things that you like to do that I want to do that I know I don't have time to do. But if we're traveling the narrow road, our destination is life. Death is not the end. It's a bend in the road. It's not a period. It's a comma. For those who are getting older, the best is yet to come. We will do and be more than we ever dreamed possible. No, folks who choose the narrow gate, travel the narrow road, are not narrow people. To walk with Jesus Christ gives us sympathies as broad as all mankind. Purposes great as heaven and hope that is eternal. But to get on the narrow road, you must make a choice. We don't stumble onto it by accident. We don't wake up one morning and find we're Christ's disciples. To begin the journey on the narrow road, you must place your faith in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection that's the only way to make it happen, and all other alternatives lead to destruction. Now, when Satan wants to influence someone to go and travel on the broad road, he uses what are known as false prophets. Jesus now explains further what kind of teachers you should follow 
it's important to know the difference between a true and a false prophet. Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing. Years ago, the Metropolitan Museum in Amsterdam put some of their priceless original arts on display and placed next to them copies. And they had a little experience. They asked people to determine if they could which was the true and which was the fake. 1,827 people took part in the experiment. Only seven were able to tell the difference between the genuine and the fake. When it comes to what is true of paintings is also true of prophets and preachers. People in our society believe their senses. So if something looks like a duck and it waddles like a duck and it quacks like a duck, we believe it's a duck. Generally, that's true, but not always. If an animal looks like a sheep and sounds like a sheep and is covered with wool, it's probably a sheep, but not necessarily. It may be a clever wolf. Jesus had a lot to say about false prophets who came disguised as sheep. He warned his followers to be careful who they listened to. In the context of the sermon, in the context of the book of Matthew, he highlights the Pharisees and the scribes as people who are ravenous wolves leading Israel astray. Leading not to God, but from God. Jesus' warning is also based on historical reality. Israel, over and over and over again, had a steady stream of False prophets. The New Testament church was constantly assaulted by false preachers. Listen as I read Acts chapter 20, verses 29 through 31. Paul to the elders of the church of Ephesus. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise They will come into the church, but not only come into the church, they will be in the church and speak perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. That is why 24 of the 27 books of the New Testament warn against false prophets. They're not easy to detect. If they were, there wouldn't be this continual warning over and over again. Our churches are assaulted by false preachers. And we guard in one one place. They'll come again. They'll assault again and again and again. One of the primary responsibilities of elders of the church, elders of this church, is to guard against false teachers and false prophets coming into our midst. We need to be prepared. We need to pray for Todd and Mark and Carrie and Doug regularly. I beg you, pray for them regularly as they seek to guide and guard our church. And since it's difficult to distinguish between what is true and 
What is false? The litmus test for teachers throughout Scripture, and I'm going to say this now and a number of times so we don't miss it, was always, did the prophet speak for God accurately? Did he accurately represent what God said to his people? Notice what he says about testing. Having given warnings, Jesus now tells what test to apply. He uses a classic Semitic phrasing, an important principle, giving both negative and positive expressions. I, I want you to notice that in verse 16, he said, you will know them by their fruits. He closes out these words about fruit in verse 20, so that you will know them by their fruit. And he, he says, grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? No. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Please notice verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. We usually apply these words to issues of morality. We say we identify good people by their good deeds. But having studied the Sermon of the Mount, we see this cannot be. Because Jesus is teaching about the error of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And if they had earned a medal for righteousness, it would be them because they kept the law meticulously, outwardly. They did good works that people saw. And many people in the world do good deeds. They don't pretend to be Christians. No, we don't have the authenticity of the prophet by examining the quality of their conduct. The fruit of the orange tree is an orange. The fruit of an apple tree is an apple. The fruit of a grapevine is a, a grape. And the fruit of a prophet, a preacher, is he true to the word of God? The litmus test for a prophet was always, was he true to what God said to his people? True prophet teaches what God, what Jesus taught. A true prophet tells us that we stand before God bankrupt, that we have nothing to give. We have nothing to give God to have right standing with him. False prophet tells us, I just, you know, turn over a new leaf. Um, straighten up. Get your act together. But a true prophet deals with what we are inwardly. They make us aware of what we are before God. When Jesus spoke of checking the fruit of another's life, he was emphasizing the importance of paying attention to what is being taught, both what is said and what is left unsaid, and as well as what is being lived out. See, false teachers use religion, religious-sounding terms. They never get specific about heaven or hell. They soften the issue by regarding faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, they don't talk about that much. They deliberately bypass what we consider, what they consider scare words, such as sin, obedience, holiness, doctrine, repentance, 
and promote a message that we are all part of the family of God. But in the final analysis, you cannot hide what a tree is. The nature of a tree will, be, will, reveal, will excuse me, reveal itself. We come to verses 21 through 23. We come to some of the most disturbing words in all of the New Testament. There is a debate about who is the referent here. Uh, I am convinced that Jesus continues to talk about the false teachers. He realizes it's difficult to detect who these people are. So he talks more about this in these verses. But it's also a sad commentary on these false teachers and what their end will be. Those listening to this sermon must have wondered about the religious leaders. They seemed to be righteous. They were teaching with the importance of keeping the law. But in the sermon, Jesus says they're leading people astray. Like a wolf in sheep's clothing, true and false prophets share some things in common. For example, we cannot identify a false prophet by their works, no matter how miraculous. Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Evidently, false prophets as well as true cast out demons, display spiritual powers, perform miracles. Judas, as one of the disciples, had powers over the forces of hell. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verses 23 and 24 says, about the last times, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. Just because someone heals the sick does not mean that he or she is a true prophet. We cannot identify a true prophet by their miracles. Secondly, we cannot identify a true prophet by their vocabulary. The false prophets Jesus mentioned did all their works in his name. Twice that's mentioned in verse 22. But Jesus will say, I never knew you. True prophets perform their ministry in the name of Jesus but false prophets also know how to use those words. We cannot tell them apart by their theological vocabulary. A TV preacher may speak in the name of Jesus, but a false prophet may use those words as well. He may be a prophet of another power using the right words to get across the wrong message. Historically, one way heretics have gotten into the church is by using theological vocabulary, but having a totally different meaning from what the Bible says that the word means. Shortly after I came to Melanie Park, an elderly lady began attending here. I can't for the life of me remember her name. She was about that big. 
she, uh, after several Sundays, she asked for an appointment. We sat down, and she began to theologically quiz me. And near the end of this, I asked, what was the reason for this? And so she told me her story. She had been a part of a church for a long time, and some circumstances had changed. She had moved to another part of Lubbock and couldn't get to her church, so she started attending another church in this neighborhood, as a matter of fact. After several Sundays, she, uh, listening to the preacher's sermons, a red flag went up. So she made an appointment with him and sat down and talked theology with him. She, she was very kind but very knowledgeable. And what she learned was that preacher denied the deity of Jesus Christ, the foundational tenant of our church. Jesus Christ, it affects other doctrines in a horrible way. So she wanted to check me out. We passed, by the way. (laughs) The Pharisees and the scribes, the false teachers Jesus has been talking about, they're not doing the will of the Father. I mean, in the context of the sermon, Jesus is referring to the Beatitudes and the ethical spiritual obedience found in this message. The will of my Father refers to God, uh, God's will as Jesus has revealed it in the sermon. Jesus is referring to a profound heart obedience that's not only on the surface, but permeates the inner being of a teacher, enabled by the Spirit of God. In these verses, false prophets made theological statements about Jesus, but they had no relationship with him. Those are tragic words. I never knew you. The litmus test of a prophet was always whether or not they spoke for God accurately, as well as what is taught being lived out. The first question Jesus asked of me as a teacher of God's word, are you staying true to my word? And the second he asked of me, is your life true to the word you preach? (laughs) A.T. Robertson, a Greek scholar, once observed, hearing sermons is a dangerous business if one does not put them into practice. (laughs) And I would add, neither is writing or delivering them. So let me leave you with two thoughts this morning. We live in complicated times. Times that wolves look and sound like sheep. They seem genuine. They seem to care. They seem to teach the Bible. But all that is only fleece deep. As disciples, we are not involved to get involved in doctrinal inquisitions. We are are to be like that little old lady who was concerned about her preacher and was he teaching truth. Because false prophets were there 2,000 years ago, they are here today. You can catch their podcasts. You can hear them on the radio. Watch them on YouTube, watch them on television, see them in front of our churches. 
we can't recognize them by their vocabulary, vocabulary, by their effective ministry, by their sincerity. We can only measure them by their message. Is their teaching true to the word of God? Is their life true to the word of God they preach? Let me urge you this morning, be a careful student of Scripture, a watchful follower of spiritual leaders. Choose who you listen to wisely. Choose who you follow wisely. Jesus' message about gates and roads, very straightforward. There are only two destinations. The wide gate and the wide road leads to destruction. The narrow gate and the narrow road leads to life. We began this series. I mentioned that the focus of the Sermon on the Mount was to the, the, the disciples who had embraced Jesus. They bought into his message. They were his followers. They were believers. But Jesus knew that in that crowd were those who hadn't. It's like a church. Most of you here this morning, I assume, have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. You've asked him to come into your life. You've trusted him as your Savior. You know that your sins are forgiven. There's a sense of peace and purpose and sure hope for the future for you. But there may be some who in like that crowd on that hillside are here this morning and they've never made a decision regarding Jesus. You can't point to a time in your life when you said, Jesus, come into my life. I want you to save me. I give my life to you. I ask you to forgive my sin, to give me power to live, security for the future. You can't ever point to a time that you've done that. But you have a choice to make. You have a choice to make to get off the broad road that leads to destruction and travel the narrow road that leads to life. How do you do that? How do I become a Christian? You make the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ a personal thing to you. You recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and you Trust in the promise of God who said, my son died for you and was raised as proof that that sacrifice was acceptable. You claim the forgiveness that he offers. I urge you this morning, choose the narrow road. Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Your decision about Jesus determines your destiny. Father, thank you for Jesus' sermon and as we concluded his appointed message about making choices, making wise choices about the road we travel and who we listen to. Guide and guard us as we Live out our lives and help us to make wise choices for our good and for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I express to Brian my gratitude for this song.
that we close with, how appropriate to our message. The second stanza, there is one gospel to which I cling, all else I count as loss. For there where justice and mercy meet, he saved me on the cross. No more I boast in what I bring, I can bring, no more I carry the weight of sin. For he has brought me from death to life. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that everyone in this room can say, I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this time of worship and fellowship and study of your word. This week, may we live it out. May we walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling and, and represent you in a way that makes an impact for you in the marketplace. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.